Africa is home to so many cultures and so much diversity, which is one of our strengths, but it can also pose many challenges. Our next panel is going to look at how leaders can harness the richness of our diverse cultures and build harmony in their teams and society. On our panel, we have Afrikam Shlope from the Good News Community Church, Reverend Rudy Bass from the Cornerstone Institute, Champ Tsekiso from the TechVest Group, and Neil Hart from the Mergen Foundation. Neil will be facilitating the conversation. Good morning. Welcome, guys. Thank you, Nyari. So good to be with you today. And we've got a great panel of amazing people with us today. If you're leading anything um, in business, in the marketplace, on this continent, then you are leading people. And we know that one of the things that's closest to God's heart is how we lead people. And leading people well without managing the cultural dynamics associated with leadership is something that we all have to be really great at. And uh, we've got some fantastic people to speak about it. So Africa is an author as well. He's written a few books. One of the books that he's written is on culture. So Africa, how should we be thinking about culture? How we, should we be thinking about culture from a kingdom perspective? And tell us a little bit about what culture is. Yeah, well, that's a very good question, Neil. Thanks uh, for that. Thanks for the opportunity. I think the first thing first is just the plain definition of culture. We've been told that culture is a way of life. So I often ask a way of life according to who? In other words, who determines that a way of life is your culture? So starting from there then traces us back to what are the foundational aspects that we must look at? Because culture is started by few but followed by many. So those who start the culture rule over those who follow it. Whatever the culture is, whether it's culture in business, culture in church, the founders of the culture. So I define culture as you and I being governed by dead people. So we are imprisoned. To, for, to, uh, we're prisoners of those who form the culture. And so also culture can be likened to a house. And the house has furniture. And often we, 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 rap, we, we grapple over what is inside the house in terms of furniture. We should be looking at what the house is based on in terms of foundation, presupposition. The foundation of the house and its orientation, what it's looking at, is more important than what is inside the house. So I look at cultural practices as like furniture, but I'm more interested in the house. What is its focus on? So in a sense, um, when we look at culture, we're looking at a way of life as we know, as we hear, and uh, that way of life is built on something. Mm -hmm. And therefore, we can't engage the culture without understanding what it's built on and understanding its pillars that underpins it and what it causes. And in Africa, therefore, we're having 3, 000, over 3,000 different tribes and over 5,000 dialects they speak. The cultural diversity, which we've been told is a strength and we're supposed to believe is a strength, sometimes a hindrance uh, because of the way we're so divided in the different cultures. And so we need to now find how do we make that a strength that it's no longer a, a weakness, it's no longer bringing division. And one of the issues is the fact that that cultural system, when it comes to the culture of the West, is different. The individual defines society. The African culture society defines the individual. Mm. So while collectivism and uh, communal is supposed to be a strength, it is in terms of we take care of each other, it takes a village to raise a child, all those sayings. When Alve takes away individual initiative mm. and the spirit of entrepreneurship, the spirit of, of being individual accountability, and it arrests people into a collectivist thinking where you can't make decisions without the collective, then it becomes an imprisoning force. You know? And so, and then obvious issues of fatalism, that my success is depending on spirits and this and that. While it's, it's good to set the foundation for faith and religion and belief, 
it's also bad in the sense that one of the previous speakers spoke about that, you know, we, we ignorance, we excuse ignorance by using spirituality. So I'm, I'm saying that while African continent is a fertile ground to grow, the Christian faith is the fastest growing place for Christianity, but also because of those issues, now just a brief issue about African religion, which is the foundation, African religion is based on the idea how to maximize fortune and how to minimize misfortune. People think it's based on God. It's not. God is an abstract reality. Their forefront is ancestralism, but the issue is really even there. It's a means to an end. The end is fortune, and, and, and the enemy is misfortune. Mm. So a person is caught between those dynamics, that I have misfortune behind me, fortune ahead of me. How do I deal with that dynamic? So therefore, things are interpreted from a pos position of that, that fatalistic mindset on our fortune. So that's why fortune-telling is a big deal. You know, so, so that world, you know, it's really a world we should engage as Christians and understand and deal with. So that's my, my brief um, wow. introduction to that. Uh, so you said that we can be imprisoned by culture. And I think yeah. as leaders trying to lead well and trying to understand cultural dynamics, uh, very often we do find ourselves Im yeah. imprisoned by it or struggling with the dynamics of culture. Really, you've done a lot of work around cross-cultural management, reconciliation work. You did some very delicate work at the University of the Free State a few years back when there was a lot of cultural challenge. Is our, our <coughs> common wisdom on this topic right? Uh, how, to, how to bring cultures together? Or should we be thinking about these things differently yeah well um again thank for the opportunity it's great to be with you guys so um you know uh, so often when we talk about culture or cultures or, or tribes or so um we work with sort of senses of hierarchy mm. of binaries of opposites mm. and so it's easier for us to talk about culture and reconciliation and togetherness and so um but what that sort of uh, allows us and often to not pick up on completely, is that difference um, is equally within groups yeah. as it would be across groups. And so I think one of the limitations that we have, uh, no matter what category of difference we work with, whether it's you know culture or race or, or f you know or faith traditions mm -hmm. or so, um, is that we we don't pick up on the nuances of the difference within my community. And so when we talk about diversity and building diverse teams and leveraging, you know, cross-cultural type of engagement, you're talk, equally talking about sort of the differences, you know, within groups between people that seem to be similar, mm. that seem to be, you know, to share the same type of cultural heritage, if you will. And so, I mean, that, that's sort of almost linguistic limitation. In a sense, one understands it, you know, the history that we come from as a continent, whether it be colonial or, you know, in South African context, sort of the racial apartheid system, which has taught binaries and difference. Um, um, you know, what happens is that we actually, in actual fact, close our eyes to how much we really share. And so, and so what happens is because we have to resolve that traditional and historical conflict in South African context, at least much more dramatically so of race um, and other contexts is, is different categories, but um, we're so distant. And we, when we talk reconciliation, it's only, you know, peace building mm -hmm. and togetherness of those categories. We don't pick up on the nuances that we share different ways of being collectives. We see different sort of demands of how individuals interact. But what is real is that collectivism 
and individualism have different ways of playing out. Sort of the furniture that you referred to, mm -hmm. you know? So, um, so what I think we miss, firstly, um, in addition to the fact that we're not used to, you know, the nuances of difference, mm -hmm. is the fact that we are, s you know, so strongly push it into binaries. Mm -hmm. We don't, you know, pick up on the, on the shared dynamics. There's one, one sort of tool, I think, that culture in sustaining its underbelly, mm. not its sort of, you know, exciting parts, that bold sort of celebration of, of, of our rich differences, um, is the whole point of hierarchies. Mm. You know, culture teaches who's at the center and who's at the margin. And sort of the dead who designs culture is we place them at the center. They've designed the narratives and the sense of identity of who we should be. And if I'm at the margin, my life's mission is to become more like the center. Sure. I'm never okay. I always have to be more. I have to be more this and that and that. Of course, in the kingdom perspective, that's very different because we're attempting to become certain set of values as, you know, in fellowship and so. Um, so, you know, that sense of hierarchy that someone's at the top and someone's at the bottom and means that you're never okay. You always have to be more black and more white and more male and more female, you're never really okay. Mm. And so, so the underbelly of culture is that teaches some of us have more power than others. Some of us, more, some of us should have more access to resources than others. And of course, we know it's a lie, but that's the side of culture that we have to deconstruct. And so when you want to build different teams, the question that you must ask yourself, um, at least in what I've been privileged to discover in the work that I've been doing, is who's at the table? Who has the voice? Who speaks first? Who rather listens? And to swing that around. Right? So normally sort of management in my business is at the center. You know, we decide where we're going. But what does the worker in the kitchen have to say about this company? And so when do I arrive as a CEO in a meeting where the, where the uh, cleaning lady leads the meeting about the direction of the, inst uh, of the institution or the company? And, and that swings around the culture. The same goes for sort of different cultures in different contexts. Anyways, those are some ideas that I think is what one could explore in sort of, you know, you know, you know are you shaking the cage of yeah. culture. <laughs> that's, you know? that's fantastic, so, yeah. Rudy. Great thoughts. Mm. You don't get to be a reverend and a doctor without having a brain <laughs> that can match. So uh, let's, just, let's just put that aside. Champ, you've been in the marketplace for a number of years and... Um, uh, just love some of your thoughts and, uh, and you've also got a, a piece that, that moves into the NGO and the ministry space that you guys carry, you and your wife. Uh, as godly leaders, how should we be thinking about creating biblical culture in the marketplace? Thanks, Neil, and thanks for the opportunity. Um, it is a difficult one. And I think for me it starts at the heart. Um, you know, an untransformed heart cannot transform anything. Mm. Um, and in fact, what it does, it conforms. Mm. Yeah. And we, we may say the good things, but in practice, there's conformity because the heart hasn't been transformed enough. Yeah. But to transform, you have to acknowledge and look at the brutal realities of your own context and the own condition. And, and for me as a leader... Firstly, as a child of God, is what is the condition of my heart? You know, you know the Bible speaks about that above all things, the heart is deceitful. Mm. 
and and if we've moved from a premise that my heart is at the right place all the time we actually are positioning ourselves to drift without being aware so it's always submerging the condition of your heart to the lordship of jesus mm. christ mm. that's where it starts the second thing for, from a transformation in the marketplace is understanding what breaks your heart what is god doing in your heart or what are you weeping over obviously there are a lot of things that you can solve but you can't solve everything but for you in particular what are you broken over and and if you are not broken about anything why is that is that okay there's so much brokenness in our society in south africa surely there should be something at least one that keeps you awake and you have to find a solution between you and the lord but it starts at the heart so i think for me the premise is transformation starts with a transformed heart you cannot transform what you're not willing to confront and i think in south africa we have an unfinished conversation but before we have the conversation and we start trying to put structures in place and do programs it's about an invitation at the feet of the cross and say god with the brokenness and the history that we have as a nation and a continent what is the condition of my heart towards those issues mm. and how am i contributing by my silence and how am i becoming a solution by the the voice and the tools and whatever but the heart condition i think supersedes everything else oh. That's fantastic. A, a few years ago, I was in a, a meeting. It's one of those meetings that rocked me, and I, I, I couldn't get it out of my mind for many years. Probably about 30, 40 church leaders talking about racial reconciliation. These were mature people, mature leaders of the body of Christ. And after about a day and a half, there was uh, infighting. And it was all different races and, and colors and creeds. And, and, and it looked to me like... The, our differences were so obvious on the outside, even as church leaders, um, and so we have to we have to got to begin this at the level of the heart, even yeah. as as people who may be following Jesus for a long time. When we get into the culture conversation and try and bring people into a united environment, if our hearts aren't transformed, there's no point in trying to create culture that yeah. is that is transformed. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that, Africa. I've got a, another question for you. Let's dig a, a little bit deeper here because we've got some dynamics that are at play. Mm -hmm. Something we see really. Um, obviously in South Africa, but I've traveled extensively in Africa and I see it in, in many places in Africa. We have, um, we have an inferiority complex and we have a superiority complex yeah. mixed into the same, same thing. Mm. Superiority often um, coming from white people. Uh-huh. Inferiority often coming from black people. I'm stereotyping here on purpose. Yeah. Could you talk into that a little bit? Because it creates an unequal environment for us to create harmonious culture. It definitely does. I, yeah, I think coming together of these different, uh, the dominant cultural systems of Africa, uh, it's African system and Western system coming together, the two bulls that are always fighting with the grass suffering as a result, I call it. So um, because they come from two different ends, these cultural systems, uh, conflict is inevitable at some level mm -hmm. because they prioritize different things. The Western culture prioritizes individualism and materialism. And so it, by its orientation, what you produce is what's more important than what you have in terms of your, your values and that. So production is important, time management is important, uh, certain systems are important, so it's focused on goals and tasks and things like that. 
Whereas Africa's relationship, that's important. The capitalist relationship, it's us together. Um, so, and then cultural Africa is more communal, as I said. And so the, the default, therefore, of Western cultural system is, is superiority. So the way I explain is that a person of, of Western descent has to be conscious in addressing superiority as a person of African descent has to be conscious in addressing idolatry. Mm. So that's the weakness of African culture. The two don't self-correct. Mm. Uh, so I didn't move away from idolatry because I became, a, I became a Christian. I just became aware of the possibility of freedom, but I had to exercise it. So there was potential, I had to actualize. So sometimes people think being a Christian automatically sanitizes or cleanses you of your pre prejudice. You just become a racist Christian. You don't stop becoming a racist. So therefore, the reality is that we have to be conscious in addressing that. And so, therefore, when we come together, um, these two are parasitical. They feed on each other. Sure. Superiority feeds on inferiority and inferiority feeds on superiority. And so both are victims. Both are imprisoned. Both need liberation. Because there are people who also feed on inferiority mm. because they need the person who's superior to take care of them. So it's a paternal relationship, works both ways. Mm. Then others come with the messiah complex, we're here to help you, others we need help. So we need each other. So therefore, and you've got to break that dependence be from be mm. between both. So cultures and the things we have are resources. We come from, we start from a position of defining ourselves. Mm. Now if I define myself primarily as a black person, I have to define you primarily as a white person. Yeah. So you become the other, the other, and the brother. So how I see myself primarily defines and determines how I relate with you. Mm -hmm. you know, and when we come in the kingdom of God, carrying that baggage from the past, and we come here, we're told we are brothers. Now okay, we, we embrace this thing theologically, ideally uh, in our minds, but in practice, we're like, we don't really feel like it. We're like, so in churches often, multiracial churches, I often see like, people sitting in a bus. They just happen to share the trip. They don't share the life. Sure. So we think the bus is life, and we think oh, we're sitting next to each other, but we don't share lives together. We just happen to share the trip. Mm -hmm. We all go in different destinations. You want to drop me at my stop? I drop you in your spot, in your stop. And so churches that are multiracial, often the majority I've been in, has still practiced cultural fascism, the dominance of one culture. So you have 80% black, but 100% white leadership. You know, because the idea is that we still have to train black people to teach the Bible. We still have a long way to go. And so we're still going to teach them and, and nurse them up and raise them up for the Lord. But it's a long journey because they come from animism. They're not ready to understand theological concepts. So, and, uh, and then black people, obviously, as well, they come there as consumers. They come there. They just want to focus on other things. We've got careers to fix, we've got background to fix, and, and we don't have time to go on missions. And we can't afford missions. We can't afford to go on missions. So, like, white people can afford to go on missions. <laughs> and so you've got that dynamic, and the gospel suffers at the end mm -hmm. because the gospel is more authentic to me, in my view, more impactful yeah. when indigenous people bring the gospel to their own people than a messiah, messiah from somewhere with funding. When the person from that community has been transformed by the gospel and goes back to their community with the gospel. Yeah. So therefore, I feel that um, the issues that we have, education and things that we have experienced, are resources. Mm -hmm. Culture is a resource. It's not always evil. It's a resource. Mm -hmm. But God is only the source. Only God is a source. Everything is a resource. But when we flip it aside and we invert it and we make everything a source, my race is a source of identity. My education is a source of, val of my values. Mm. and who I am. So when we make what I have as a source, I make God a resource. Mm. Where it's supposed to be the other way around. Oh, my good. skin color is not a source. It's a resource. Mm -hmm. My education is a resource. My language is a resource. My money, my everything is a resource. God is a source. My culture is a resource. Yeah. But it's never a source. Yeah. 
So as soon as, so as long as I keep God the source, source of identity, source of my value, source of who I am, then I take everything else as a resource. I don't fight against education. I don't demonize education. I don't demonize anything. Post. I'm like, it's a resource. The car is a resource. Money is a resource. But God is a source. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. I hope uh, what we're hearing is not the church, Africa speaking as a, as a pastor, will solve this or government will solve this. But we're talking to marketplace people here. And one of the things that we have, which is incredibly powerful, is the resources to help to solve these problems as godly leaders. Um, Neil, uh, you know, if I may, yeah. you know, because, I mean, what you raise, of course, triggers a number of questions, yeah. for me at least. Go for it, Rudy. Um, so, so as an illustration, our quick slip into, you know, defining our resources, such as race, mm. As a particular thing mm-hmm. is not you know innocent, right, so the construction of race, the notion that there are different races, races. one would call a legacy of the colonial project, yeah. all right so where at least in in the sort of stereotypical Western culture, one would categorize and say, but you have white and you would have black and so right it's a construction to achieve superiority to gain power. To have the resources, mm. all right. There was an intentionality by creating a color bar, but in reality, race is a socially intellectually created construct. It has no meaning in itself. Mm. The fact that we've lived with that construct over so many decades and centuries makes it a resource. Mm. But so in itself, there's no difference between the four of us here. And of course, that is what the Bible teaches as well. Mm-hmm. But that's the reality. Mm. And the question is how we now deconstruct that reality. Mm. So part of the challenge of working mm. with, you know, you know uh, I love your language, that's why I'm sort of using it as well, of working that resources is to understand how they, they really are only that. Mm. Mm. They don't have meaning in itself. They don't describe reality. Mm-hmm. These tools that we've lived with and created. That's my sense of it. And so what that also makes possible, unfortunately for us, is that if we don't if we don't intentionally reflect on this, we Mm. become complicit in its dark side, if Mm. I you know. Mm -hmm. Right? So we we sustain racism Mm. by identifying continuously as white or black. Now of Mm -hmm. course, you know, we work with the realities of a society. But, you know, reflecting and understanding continuously, I'm working with a construct and therefore I can change it. And, you know, so my responsibility as a leader in the marketplace to find ways of deconstructing that. Mm. Who actually would be my market for a particular product? Mm. Yeah. And in my mind's eye, I don't think about it, but, you know, I think it's the, you know, it's the whiteies. Yeah. Or yeah. it's the yeah. darkies, you yeah, know? Yeah, 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 you see yeah. what I'm saying? So we have assumptions that play into our decisions mm. in the marketplace continuously. And mm. so the intentionality of deconstructing and not associating fact yeah. as truth with yeah. those categories. I mean, that's an important discussion, I think, yeah. to yeah. have yeah, in a team, yeah. essentially. So, yeah. On that Jeff. point, Neil, <laughs> that's why we need Zewani. And mm. we need mm. to be at the lake and mm. create a safe space to talk about this mm. issue. This is the ad break section here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, we need, we, we need to be at the lake. Yes, yes. Mm. Mm. And as leaders and refresh each other mm. with the truth. Yeah. Uh-huh. Now that race is a, con- a construct, uh-huh. but you've benefited from that construct. Right, right, right. Let's talk about that yeah, at the lake, exactly. in a safe space, yeah. mm. uh, using the word of God as an anchor, truth as an anchor. Mm. Because I'm not coming as a victim, I'm coming as a brother, but I'm mm. acknowledging that I've mm. got baggage. 
that I'm carrying and there are biases that I have. And I'm acknowledging that you are my brother who has baggage that you have. Some of it, it's mask and privilege, but there's a lot of fears based on where we're supposed to go together. And together we are powerful, but we need to at least be on the same page. As, 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 as mm. brothers in the Lord and acknowledge that I have privileges that I've enjoyed and I'm enjoying systemically, that's what it is. Oh. But it's because of this con- construct. Mm-hmm. How do I leverage that privilege? Right. Mm-hmm. How do, what does that restitution mm. mean for me mm-hmm. as the person who's a beneficiary of yeah. that? Mm-hmm. Is there a reparation conversation at the lake? Yeah. I'm not even talking sure. about, sure. you know, <laughs> uh, talking to the world or yeah. South Africa. Yeah. 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 Behind closed doors in a safe space. How do I allow you to to be yourself and and, and, and vent about your fears? How do you allow me to heal in your face and and say, look, I I haven't seen that remorse coming through. I haven't seen that acknowledgement really, really deep down touching you. I don't see the Zacchaeus moment that you should be experiencing about where we come from as a representation. But then we flip it and say, okay, then the future. Mm, I have mm. to acknowledge that in the spaces I'm in, mm-hmm. whether I like it or not, I represent something. Mm. Sure. Yeah. Mm. You will make, or people will make um, conclusions by my actions about black people because of what I do and I don't do what I say and I don't mm-hmm. say. I am an ambassador in that category, in their minds, mm-hmm. but I should be an ambassador of Christ mm-hmm. as, as a key, key, key foundation. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Uh, anyway, I want to continue on this, yeah. but <laughs> <laughs> we need Ziwani for, for this experience Same. at the lake <laughs> uh, to be refreshed by God's truth yeah. and mm-hmm. deal with these issues yeah. and biases. Yeah. Because for us to transform again, it needs to be at the feet of Jesus yeah. Christ. Fantastic. Heal our biases. Yeah. Help us to yeah. uh, work together. There are things that I can't say yeah. to a, a people who share yeah. your, your pigmentation, yeah. Yeah. even though it's a construct. Yeah. But if we align on the truth, yeah. you become the messenger yeah. of that truth because they will receive you. Yeah. And similarly so, yeah. you can't say certain things to yeah. people of my pigmentation. Yeah. Yeah. But if I share the truth yeah. and we are on the same page, we yeah. are bound by Christ, yeah. knowing that we're dealing with a construct, yeah. allow me the privilege to then be the messenger. Sure. Yeah. But the message remains the truth and Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's great. That's my <laughs> I, I yeah, want to yeah. jump onto the, the, way, the angle that you're going and talk about economic inclusion or economic exclusion because one of the things we talk about how race separates us uh, in africa it's ethnic uh, divisions mm. it's yeah, the same tribal. thing it's, it mm. might not be white or black but you know i've seen i've seen this in many places how we separate by ethnic uh, differences but then what happens is in the marketplace we exclude the other uh, financially mm. and so we're in the marketplace to make money it's one of the main drivers of the marketplace capitalism but one of the ugly sides of it is that we we uh, gather for ourselves and so what's the role of generosity um in in harmony building in culture when when, when there's a group that doesn't have that is being excluded or is currently excluded what do we think the role of generosity in the marketplace is to be a bridge building um aspect and i'll throw that out to anybody who wants to answer it i'll take go for it i'll take i yeah. think that um my my view is that um we need to give the means for people to take care of themselves um rather than the dependence on 
what we have. I think the best thing that people need in the Arab general cities, whatever you have achieved in terms of success or business, whatever, if those models can be replicated in terms of teaching people the skills, I'm more interested in the educational aspect of stuff. Although there's temporary um, things that must be done in terms of where there's extreme poverty, you need to supply food or bread. You can't mm. just talk about, I'll give you a degree in three years to come. You know, there's a practicality that is, there's immediate, there's a long term. Mm. So I think that we shouldn't be short-termism because sometimes as, as Africans as well, we get, we get charities that are just short-term. Mm. And then the people also depend on those charity and it's a perpetual relationship and it's, it gets paternalistic, it gets problems. So I would, I would want to see a merger of the short term and the long term. Mm. The long term is upskilling of mm. people mm. so they can take the dignity of people is when they can do their own thing. Yeah. So I think that if I can find generosity that, 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 that meets both ways, mm. you know, both things, the mm. short term and the long term, mm. I would be very happy to see. Mm. Yeah. Great, really. You know, <coughs> so just maybe firstly on the notion of bridge building, you know, in the context that I'm coming from where it's sort of more reconciliation work and so, um, but I, I think it, it, it would carry equally for the marketplaces that when you sort of talk bridge building, you talk a river mm. for argument's sake, you know, and, mm. uh, and the bridge would sort of connect the sides of the river representing different sort of communities and, and so. But what does the bridge building mean? You know, you, meet, you, you, you arrive at the center and you, you, know, you work things out and you reach peace and there's togetherness and so forth. And, and then where do you go? You know, back to the side of the river. <laughs> and so the problem is the sides of the river don't change. That's not you remain poor or you remain rich. Mm. And so what we need is to actually learn how to build a, another bridge, if you will, down the river mm. or up river to new islands. So if you reach one another at the center of this bridge, where do you go? You can't go back. You've got to find a different route, a route down road. Wow. So, and, and I think with that sort of understanding or perspective at least, sure. when you talk about, you know, uh, within the company and outside the company or resources mm -hmm. in and, resource and, and absent outside, it's really about, again, thinking how do you think together across mm -hmm. the distance. Yeah. So I think much of the solution in a sense, you know, has to do with a type of incubating startup type of work mm. so you're working with products in a certain place you know you're providing to a certain you know segment of the market the question is do you work with your clients in developing their own small little companies and initiatives and NGOs mm. to work in a certain area so you know to move from the serving mm. to facilitating you know your own little vehicle and yeah. that grow by itself and yeah. so I mean then you could build in your shareholding of it and you know you know all those type of things that you know, business people do, but um, but the point is, is that entrepreneurial spirit. Now, I think, you know, you know, on this continent, we are naturally entrepreneurial. Mm. So, if companies would simply, as part of selling, also include incubating, mm -hmm. is that I mean, then you're building bridges between yeah. sort of the haves and the have-nots. Yeah. You know, it's gonna. You yeah, know. that's great. Anyway. It's 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 something. That is extremely hard in practice to mm. do, mm. and I happen to work in that space quite a lot, and I, I've got a lot of sleepless nights. The context is because of exclusion is a product. Mm. There's an input, a process, and the output. When you look at exclusion, you look at the manifestation of something that happened, mm. and and the cost of it is. It's so, so painful. It's, it's not just economical, sure. mm -hmm. psychological, spiritual, and, and, and many other 
things. Therefore, economic inclusion will not be solved only through economic means mm. because the damage that has taken place in the mind of those that have been excluded, the feeling of rejection, mm. it's more severe than you know, we can imagine. So that healing is important and it doesn't take an economist or it doesn't take an entrepreneur. Mm. For you to be an entrepreneur, you need to believe you can, but if you've been told you can't, sure, you can't start. Mm. You know, so, and then you've got the practical things about mm. um, this, the economic baseline mm. just to be in the conversation. Right. It's not there. The mm. more rural you go, the more uh, expressive that context becomes. Mm. But then on the flip side, the abuse and the, the, the exclusion has been so painful. Yeah. People are at the bottom of the bottom. So sure. they can't go further other than death. And now when they start conceiving to say it's better to die than to live in hunger, yeah. you get to a place where it's dangerous. Mm. So this, the, the amount of time to incubate has mm. to be accelerated because sure, sure. there's a livelihood question yeah. that needs to be answered. Yeah. So, yeah. so you've got low, p- poor educational base, so they can't be in the conversation. Mm. And you have to be a good steward on the other side. Mm. You can't entrust mm. something that someone mm. doesn't have the means or the ability to do. Mm. But equally so, they are a critical stakeholder mm. who are hungry mm. and have been patient for a long, 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 long time. Mm. And they are saying, why should I remain excluded? I will then make way to be included. Mm. And my means of being in- included is not going to be very smart, yeah. very eloquent, mm. very boardroom. That's why we need Ziwani at the lake, guys. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and this is critical. Yeah. And the sense of agency around our solutions needs to be very um, much practical. Mm. And we need to be um, intentional and we need to move at the speed of light. Mm. In South Africa, in my mind, we have a window of God's mercy around this issue of economic mm-hmm. inclusion yeah. mm-hmm. and it's only God's children who right. are the hope for yeah. it. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's speak to that for a second. We've probably got five minutes or so left. I'd love to hear all your views on this. So s- speak to leadership and management in a marketplace context. So what kind of paradigm shift, what kind of biblical paradigm shift do we need to go through in order to understand rebuilding culture from a godly perspective? I think I would like to see uh, leaders in the marketplace seeing them breaking down the dichotomy uh, between the kingdom of God and, and the world. That we're primarily stewards of the kingdom of God and we just happen to play in different spaces. Well, so I'm in business, I'm in church, it makes no difference. I'm a steward of God's kingdom. The only thing that I have primary loyalty to is God's kingdom. Yeah. The question is always how do I advance that kingdom in the marketplace? Yeah. So I don't, I'm not in business and I just happen to to put my feet in the kingdom of God occasionally. Mm-hmm. I'm fully in the kingdom of God and I happen to play in the, in the, in the marketplace. So how does the advancement of the God kingdom, God's kingdom look like in the marketplace? Mm-hmm. You know, so if mm-hmm. we break down that dichotomy, mm-hmm. then we would think differently. So I'm a missionary in the marketplace. I'm a missionary in this space mm-hmm. and that space. Good. What do missionaries do? Missionaries learn the language of the people they go to. They identify with the needs of the people they go to. Mm-hmm. You know, so they are more interested in the entrenchment of the gospel to those people than bringing those people to their well. They're interested in bringing the gospel to those people. Mm-hmm. So they have to be amongst those people bec- for the sake of the gospel. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. So if the gospel was our primary thing that we focus on, we will do everything for the gospel, mm-hmm. even if it's at our own cost and discomfort. Mm-hmm. So I think we have not, the kingdom of God is not something we have, we've, we've bought into. You know, it's sure. a side thing, it's a side show. Sure. You know, so we hear and there's a side show called the kingdom of God. <coughs> 
-hmm. Whereas for Christ, that was a center show. You know, so I think I would like to see a center in the kingdom of God back to its position and everything else is do, we do as peripheral. You sure. know? And so when we do that, I think then we know the kingdom of God, how it works. People are the center of God's heart. You know, so, so we don't help people as a project. It's not yeah. a social project. It's not social engineering. It's not mm. politics. It it's is a call God. of God. Mm. It's the only thing that matters. Mm. The only thing I'm taking out of this earth is the people I'm interacted. I don't take my mm. money. I don't take the businesses. I don't take the franchises. The only thing that matters at the end is when the people have been impacted and the king will say to me, well done. Thou good. He won't say well done because I've built a business. <laughs> he will say well done mm. for good and because mm. I've used the business to advance his kingdom. Christ mm. would never validate a multinational company I've built because that's not his interest. Mm. His interest is what that company becomes in the kingdom space, what it does. Mm. He will say well mm. done, thou good and faithful. That's what I want mm. for my life. Mm. Very good. Yeah. Thank you. Mm. Really? Sure, I mean. No, you know, um, when I think about leadership within organizations, um, uh, what comes up for me, you know, for where we're at in the conversation is the notion of hidden knowledge. Mm -hmm. you, know, you know, who's at the table in the meeting? You know, whose paintings or pictures are against the wall? Mm -hmm. You know, what, ni what name would there be for the organization and the reasons for it? How do we dress? Yeah. You know, uh, so there's, there's a lot of, sort of in just in the way of life, that says something about our values and, and so. So when you talk about leadership and management, you talk about building bridges, crossing boundaries and so forth. Um, I would say it's, it's, it's you know, being open and intentionally exploring what is hidden beneath. Mm -hmm. Do you really know the stories of your teams, <coughs> the real stories? Mm -hmm. Which stories guide your sense of the place, of yeah. the people, mm -hmm. and therefore what decisions we take? Yeah. You know, so, so that sort of hidden part, and there's just one last thing I think it's important for leaders to realize when they, when they want to build new organizations with diverse teams that take different seriously as, a, as, a, as an asset, mm -hmm. right? And that's to understand that there is something like reprisal. Society hits back. Mm -hmm. Business hits back when you want to do the right thing. Right, so it's not as you know. It'll be an easy process, and it's mm -hmm. going to work. Yeah, you know, it's 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 a tough space tough, to yeah. work in. Yeah. But here's the thing: when uh, when you live through reprisal, revenge of the environment, when you do the right thing, is you gain the privileged knowledge hmm. of having been a victim of the dark side of culture. Wow. Sure. All right, uh, which means you know how it works. You've lived through it. You now know how to cross the boundaries. Mm -hmm. And the thing is within each organization, as in this meeting, there's people among us scared to speak out because they lived through reprisal. Mm -hmm. If I were a leader in organizations sure. that want to build a new institution, I would look for those people who hide but who's lived through the troubles of wanting to change mm. something because they have the experience, mm. the voice, the language to, mm. to, to build change. Yeah. So in a very practical, find those bridge builders and use them to build new teams, very I good. would say. Yeah. <laughs> really, that's great. It's probably not going to uh, leave us enough time for champ, but um, uh, Jesus speaks about seeking first the kingdom. kingdom yeah. And there's something throughout scripture that we see about the importance of seeking. And I love that of seeking, not only what you said is not just seeking the marketplace, seeking the kingdom, but seeking those uh, that are the hidden gems that have been through what they're needing to do mm -hmm. and that being some of the the diamonds that we can yeah. mine in, in the process gentlemen thank you so much it's been wonderful uh really appreciate your 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 thoughts a lot of wisdom in this room and with that we're going to hand back mm. to you michael mm -hmm.